All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Welcome to it. How's everyone doing? What day is it? Thursday? That's what day this comes out. How's that going for you? How's the Thursday going? Today on the show, Hutch Harris from the band The Thermals. Talking about an obsession. Not with Hutch Harris necessarily, but I'll explain in a second. I did want to mention that, uh, that I told you last week about the movie I did with Chris D'Elia and Eric Andre and a bunch of other comics. It's called Flock of Dudes, and it's now playing in theaters. It's on iTunes, and now you can also rent it on demand. Go to flockofdudesmovie.com to watch the trailer and for links. I think I was funny in it. I'll get around to watching it. I haven't watched yet that Mike and Dave need wedding dates or Mike and Steve or whatever. I It's weird. I've not watched a couple of movies that I've been in. I should do that. I should make that time as opposed to watching every episode of The Sopranos again. Um, rock and roll, obsession, records, record. Uh, yes. I've had to, um, the records are still coming. I listen to the records you send me. I can't, I can't promote all the records you send me. If that's what you're expecting, if you're thinking Marin's going to love this record, maybe Marin will. I don't know. If I don't, I'm not going to tell you that, but I'm also, you know, I get a lot of records and, and I, and I give them all a shake. I give them all a spin. All right. I will tell you that I've been listening to some good records, but that's, that's sort of what I want to talk about is the, the obsessive quality of things, the obsession. Also, go to WTFpod.com slash tour, Carnegie Hall. There's literally maybe like 200 tickets left. And I'm, ju- I'm just being straight with you. So if you're holding out on that, that's how many are left. Literally 200 tickets. Uh, the Vic in Chicago. I'm going to be in Nashville. I'm gonna, there's a lot of tour. I'm not going to plug each one individually right now, but go to WTFpod dot com slash tour buster the kitten some people are pestering me for an update buster is doing well he's a crazy stinky kitten like he's one of those kittens that gets you know out of nowhere possessed with demonic intent like just out of nowhere he'll just start ripping your hand apart ripping some furniture apart running 100 miles an hour you know clawing the back of your neck as he runs over your head that's what that cat is He's a black demon. He's also uh, very farty. So I have a demonic farty ass cat that annoys me, but I love him because he does relax occasionally. When you have one of those kind of cats, you're just sort of like, oh my God, what's he going to fucking do? Don't do, oh shit, he broke my God damn it. Why did you fucking, hey, don't rip that. Oh shit. Oh my, where, he's running so fast. And then he tried to wear him out with the fucking, uh, laser pointer the fake mice hopefully that they'll they'll just relax he's terrorizing monkey the old man but monkey neither one of my cats really ever knew how to play and um and they're kind of learning at this weird old age of you know 14 15 these cats are learning how to play i I don't know why they didn't they never they were wild when i got them they were not they just didn't have any capacity for it so it's kind of interesting to see an old thing learn how to play in his old age sort of like me right deaf black cat has been gone for two days but sometimes he does this i think he he has to go on a brief hiatus to meet with his mystical advisors on the other plane to give uh, them an update on how i'm doing because deaf black cat is a uh, mythological beast that uh, has entered my life and um 
I, I, I fear the day that he disappears forever, but he usually comes back. And uh, we'll see. I'll let you know. Hutch Harris today from the thermals. Now, the deal with the thermals is um, I saw them at South by Southwest. I don't even know how many years ago, but it was one of those situations where like I register things, you know, like I, I don't go to a lot of live music and I'm not usually at festivals. And I remember I had the same thing with the hold steady at, at South by Southwest. I think it was the same show. I think it was the thermals opening for the hold steady. And I see so little live music. And when I watched the thermals, I was like, Oh my God, these guys are the greatest band. They're the best band I've seen in years. And I believe that. And I still think they're a great band. But at that moment, it wasn't so much like, why haven't I heard of them? It was just the experience of seeing something new and being fucking excited about it. I'd listened to the whole study, but uh, I didn't know the thermals. And they had there was a Hutch and a woman and another guy. They seemed interesting. They definitely had their own sound. I liked the way they played guitar. I liked the way they sang. I liked the way uh, they looked on stage. And I was just, I was all in. I was like, this is a great band. Then I started to pursue like every record the Thermals ever did, including EPs and including like Kathy and Hutch records before the Thermals or alongside of it. I'll talk to him about that. And like, what is, what are they about? And I became this complete fanboy for a few months. And I was, I was talking, I was emailing with them and I thought they were so cool. And I thought they were cooler than me. And I thought about having them on the show. Then I thought I wasn't cool enough. And that, I'm, and I'm 50 at this point when all this is happening. But that's my reaction. I go to one live show and my mind is blown and it's fucking all over. It's all, I just, I got to have, I've done that with so many bands. And it's harder with jazz people, but new bands and things I've never heard of, I'll fucking, I'll go all in and start buying records. I just bought, I just ordered a record. I was at a restaurant and I heard a song and on the, on the sound system, I was like, who is this? And they, and they said, it's Zomes. I think it's how you pronounce it. Zomes. It was sort of ambient, kind of droney, repetitious, but for some reason it was, it was moving me. It was reaching in and squeezing my my sad little cynical heart and i'm like zomes i gotta get some zomes so i ordered a zomes record i'll probably order all the zomes records that's just the way it works with me especially after i see a live band but i want to talk to uh to i want i want to share this this clip with you my friend dan pashman from the sporkful came over a little while ago and we talked a bit about seeing bands live and what we get out of it uh this didn't make it into the conversation we aired the last time so this is like an outtake of that talk we had but it fits in with the show today so i figured i should share it with you and that you should hear it because it's about seeing live music and and how that makes us feel so this is me and dan pashman So I saw Bruce Springsteen recently. Really? Yeah. I was thinking about you before mm-hmm. I went to see Bruce because I was thinking about your bit about going to see the Stones mm-hmm. and being worried, like, what if, he, what if he can't do it anymore? What if it's not like when I was 14? Right. When did you first see Bruce Springsteen? First time I was eight years old, born on the USA tour. With who, your parents? With my parents. Uh-huh. Giant Stadium, 1985. Mm-hmm. Linda Pashman? Yep. And Lewis, they were there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good memory. Yeah. How is uh, Bruce Springsteen evolving? Is there still the authenticity that Bruce has loved and known for? Is there still the working man's ethic of a Bruce Springsteen show where you're elevated and you feel like, you know, that these are guys doing a job and it's bringing us along for three fucking hours, four (laughs) hours. Look at those guys. They're like union guys up there with the guitars. I mean, he still puts on a damn good show. What was your fear? 
my fear was like you said, like what, like like he hasn't been touring for a while. I heard he had to have rotator cuff surgery. He's sixty, he's sixty six or sixty seven years old. And you're, you're concerned about the surgery, so you were concerned just about just the his... idea of him needing to have surgery. Right, upset me. Superman Bruce. Right, like yeah. you could give him as being invincible. Sure, you know that's and, right. Yeah, and, yeah. and 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 especially like same thing with the Stones. Like rock and roll is such like it's such an expression of youth. Yeah. That like the idea of an old person trying to rock out is so sad, like it's so pathetic. Oh, so the idea of it is, but the, but did you have the same experience I did? Is that like I, there was a lot of concerns, right? And you don't want them to just become a greatest hits machine either, though. You like hearing those songs, and you might not have heard them live in a while, but there's something about professionals doing what they do best that if they can still like especially someone like bruce and, and even the stones they're not going to use backtracks it's all going to be live music he doesn't even wear a, uh, an earpiece he uses right. the monitors so up like, on stage I and mean, that's old school and the fact that when i saw the stones it took them two songs to sort of like get on the same page right <laughs> you know for keith to realize that he was amplified <laughs> that you know that well, there were just there was just a, there were, it didn't quite click between him and Ronnie until like the third song, and then once that happened, you're like you almost respected him for that. It's it's fucking rock and roll, you know. It's gonna be a little messy at first, and it's a little messy, but that's the Stones. But I was uh, I was so impressed at the at the professionalism and how how good they sounded playing playing straight through. Like you know, and, and Mick was in good form. You know, it was a little disconcerting to see him dancing because he is old, and he, <laughs> but you do have concerns for them as people because. As as they get older they become people right you know when you're a kid you're like the fucking stones they're like superheroes but now as everybody gets older you're sort of like oh, I hope, it's, hope they still got it right 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 no totally yeah now, bruce i mean look he went out in the like he he's got a little, little cat walk out into the crowd he's out there singing and then he he falls onto the crowd and they he crowd surf back to the stage mm. He was out in the crowd at one point. Were you point. concerned at that point for his rotator cuff? <laughs> Were you like, oh, God, do they know he had surgery? Well, you know, last time I saw him crowd surf, he sort of jumped into the crowd. This time he sort of gingerly sat down on the crowd. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you got me? Yeah, right, you got right. me? Yeah, like, and, and even the crowd was moving him kind of slowly. Like, yeah, because like they're all 52. Right, right, exactly. 60 years old. It was cool. His mom was in the audience. She's 90, and she's dancing, and he went out into, this, into the crowd and was dancing with her in the mm. crowd, which was like pretty awesome Oh, moment. that's sweet. Did everyone cry? Uh, cheer, cry. I cried when they played Moonlight Mile for no reason. <laughs> no reason. So you come away from the Bruce Springsteen album feeling elated and happy and a little concerned for Bruce and a realization of your own mortality and perhaps Bruce's. Yeah, but also it made me think of you because it made me think of your bit about the Stones, but it also made me think when you were talking on the show recently about seeing Jeff Tweedy yeah. perform in uh, Jeff Ulrich's living room. Yeah. And about how, like, he's just a guy who knows how to do the job. And yeah. I can tell that this is something that you've been, like, thinking about a lot. Like, like just, for, like, respect for craft. Yeah. Like, someone who has put in that years to just yeah. get good at the fucking job. Right. And you're that. You're, like, that right. person, too. And, like, when I saw you uh, on tour last last summer or fall, whenever yeah. it was, like, it, it struck me, like, the level of, like, just command that you had on the stage. Like, right. you were in your element. Like, it had, even though you've been doing it for a long time, I, when I saw you five, ten years ago, like, there was still a level of like I'm you know of yeah. anxiety that yeah. was gone right. more recently. Like, right, no, I agree. You yeah. have that command, and what what I was curious to ask you about is like one of the things that I see in the in the newer music that someone like Bruce writes now. Mm -hmm. Like he used to spend years working on an album, mm -hmm. ten months just to write the song "Born to Run." Like like he's such a perfectionist, and as he gets older, he gets more confident that he that he knows what the fuck he's doing. Mm -hmm. 
But then, at a, and then you hit a certain prime, for which for him is probably like Born in the USA, mm-hmm. Tunnel of Love. Yeah, time's up. Great talking <laughs> to you. <laughs> you. You hit that prime, but then you get to a point where you get overconfident. Right. And you start, he starts putting out songs like Queen of the Supermarket, which is one of the worst songs ever released. Yeah. Well, here's what you do. This is my general advice. Are you ever worried that that could happen to you? Well, comics are different a bit, as long as you're generating new material. I mean, you know, you're always going to be a victim of, well, it wasn't as good as his last hour. You know, like, and that happens with guys that are, like, I think a little bigger than me. You know, like, yeah, there's part of, there's something that happens culturally where, where whether it's genuine or not, when somebody is tremendously successful, like I think with music, when there's a string of hits that really, if you think about the people that you love musically, uh, many of them defined your entire adolescence. Like there's a group of, of, of songs that defined you probably through college where you could put it on and be like, you know, like, you know, baby, we were born to run or whatever Phil Collins song that you like. <laughs> and... <laughs> But but the thing is, like, are you ever going to be that kid again? Are you ever going to have those emotions connected to a piece of music that guy did? Is he ever going to be able to do that for you again? Probably not. But but also is you know is he going to age out of of what he you know was great at? Maybe because you talk. I've talked to a lot of these guys, you know, like Huey Lewis and Thomas Dolby, come to mind. Marshall Crenshaw, who believe they're still doing great work, if not the best work they ever did, but they don't have the the cultural relevance they used to, or the hit making capacity that they once did, or the youth of the audience they once did, but they still kind of plow on with somebody like Bruce. What I know about the Stones, like I'm not going to listen to a new Stones song. What are you nuts? You're talking about it from the audience perspective. I'm talking about it from like. 20 years ago, Bruce would never have released the song Queen of the Supermarket because he would have known or someone would have told him, this is a shitty song. Don't release it. And it would have ended up in the dustbin. Yeah. And I, w- and, you don't think Bruce has written any shitty songs back then? Oh, yeah. Look, I think most albums have some shitty songs, but I think that like, I think the, it, you know, the albums in his real prime, the the bad songs are, or the like, every song is pretty good mm-hmm. and the great songs are great. None of the songs, like, like there are a lot of songs in his more recent albums that are that would never have made it onto those earlier albums. And what I'm curious about is like, he he gave this great keynote speech at South by Southwest a few years ago, sort of like his advice to young musicians. Yeah. And he was basically said, and I feel like this is for anyone in creative field, like it works for comics too. Like, yeah. you know, you need to find the sweet spot between believing that you rock and believing that you suck. I don't know if that's true. I, I think that, you know, genuinely, uh, uh, g- generally, artists are, are, are probably doing the best they can at that moment in their life. And, and I think that, you know, m- more so what probably happens is, and I think you're speaking to this, is that they, they end up appearing like they're hacking on themselves. Like they're, they're going to sort of go back to the tropes that they know. And try to 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 sort of you know bring them back to life somehow. Like I imagine Queen of the Supermarket is some sort of working class anthem about a woman who he saw at the supermarket right. is trying to feed her kids, and you know he he noticed. Right. You know, like, this would be my my blue collar song for this album. That's right. So he's right. hacking himself. Right. Where is you know is he still a spokesman for that? Was he ever really? Did he capture it poetically? You know, very succinctly uh, for a lot of people and mean it at another time. Yes. Does he mean it now? Yes. Are, are, does it does it seem like a retread i think that you're more likely to get into retread zone than you are to like i don't think he's he might be lacking the creativity and the passion he once had for his subject matter but but i i think that the danger is that they 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 have a formula 
And and like, is someone going to tell them that you know, hey, dude, it's this is a formula song? A lot of times, that's all they get from record companies. Like, make another one of those, right? But how for you as someone who has like hit a this a hit a, a stride in your career and reached this level of confidence and command of your craft? Yeah, how do you guard against overconfidence? Well, I, I well, that's it's a good question. You know, I. I, I I don't know, like, you know, I don't think that Bruce would, even if you talked to him about it, if you said, like, I think you're getting a little cocky. I mean, you know, he's been, he's been not necessarily cocky, but, you know, like part of his whole thing about about what, who he is, is is an exuberance and an endurance and, and a sort of, uh, sort of a humble persistence. But I, I think he's always been pretty confident. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't I, know. I mean, he spent three years working on the album Born to Run. And the only reason why the, the album was ever finished was because the record label booked him on a tour and pulled the, the but I think that's bus a, up to the, the studio and, and pulled him out of the studio and took him on the road. But that's an element of being hungry versus not being hungry. Has, you know, has, you know, do you, like the one thing I've said recently, and I think this speaks to that, is like when you spend your whole life trying to, to just trying to get somewhere, trying to do something, and then all of a sudden you're afforded the opportunity to do it, you know, you do it. And then, like, you know, do you get complacent? Yes. Like, I would think that complacent is probably the word. You know, I don't think, I, I have a hard time believing that Bruce is too confident. He, he might be complacent in his skill set and not be as hungry or things are not as urgent or perhaps, you know, as you get older, you know, your concerns become a little more selfish and less, uh, you know, broadly empathetic. And sometimes that feels like posturing. Uh, you know, does Bruce Springsteen really care about the queen of the supermarket? I don't know. Right. But uh, but for me, you know, my concern is like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel better at my craft, but I still am up against creating new stuff. And, you know, and, and I said this just the other day. It's like, I don't want to, I want to make sure that I'm growing creatively and personally and and that means publicly with with what I'm with what I'm putting out there. And my fear is that yeah, I'll repeat my tone, not my jokes. So you know, who's to say you know what you, you know what you're locked into and how you're going to grow as an artist? But I think that you know you give Bruce Springsteen a pass because he has been fairly courageous in doing new things uh, in his career. It takes a real unique soul to to not hack on himself. And and Bruce did it for a long time. Like he you know he went out there. And I think you know like anybody else. Like I often question, like why is he even touring? He's got to have enough money unless he really fucked up somehow. But the truth of the matter is, you you want to see if you can still do it if you still got it. It's totally. just like what well, Ted Koppel asked him that once in an interview. Like why are you why are you even doing this? You yeah, what know? else is he gonna do? He, well, he, he it was funny. He, he said he said well it's because I'm uh was my son say an attention whore. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, that's honest, and right. I think that's the bottom line with all of it. Or like, you know, I'm t I can't stay at home anymore. She's driving me crazy. Right. I really, I really think a lot of these guys are like, I gotta go, baby. Right. That's gonna be six weeks. Right. I know. I'm sad. I gotta go. Yeah. Trucks outside. <laughs> that was me and Dan Pashman from the Sporkful Podcast at WNYC. He's doing a special series right now on race, culture, and food called. Who is this restaurant for? It's provocative stuff. You should check it out. Get the Sporkful today wherever you get your podcasts. All right? Can you do that? So now I'm going to talk to Hutch Harris, who I completely had a different idea of. When I was like on my thermal bender, I, you know, I just thought I I I decided he was this way cool kind of uh dark uh brooding intense guy 
that um, that was completely focused on the the music, and uh, certainly wouldn't want to chit chat with a with the likes of me. That's what I decided a few years ago when I got on a thermals bender. But then I find I'm totally wrong. He's a sweet guy, smart, great songwriter, musician, and completely pleasant. And we had a nice conversation, and he sings at the end. So hang out for that. This is me and Hutch Harris of The Thermals. So when did I, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, it's been years. Like, I got the feeling that when I saw you at South By, it was just this coincidental thing. Maybe you were opening for the Hold Steady. Right. Yeah. So that I think that would have been 2007. So 2007, I'm just wandering around. I see you and Kathy. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And it's just you and Kathy and a drummer, right? Right. So Pretty that would much. have been, yeah, Lauren was our drummer at that point. What does Kathy play? Kathy plays bass. Right. So... So I see you guys and I'm like, holy shit, these guys are really fucking good. They sound interesting, unique. And then, and then like I was compelled by the music and then the whole steady came on. They were pretty good, but. Oh yeah, they were great. Yeah. But you guys like, you know, made an impression. So then I'm like, who the fuck are those guys? And I had to like, like look up your name and then I had to come home and then, you know, go buy all the records. Right. And then I think I reached out to you and I think you were probably like, who's this guy? Oh no no! I knew. I mean, I've been a, <laughs> I've been a fan for a long time. That's my that's my uh, that's my like weird, dumb, insecure fantasy. No, like, yeah, no, I'm it's bothering this guy. Like, oh no, not at all, not at all. Yeah, and then we never sort of got it together. So, but you've been doing this a while, right? So this, I is think like you looked fourteen I, years or so. The band. but like I feel like you looked more uh, like your hair was wilder back then. I think you, sure, you, yeah. You well, it's almost cleaner. ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it right? Yeah, it yeah. is. It's almost ten years ago right. yeah. that I saw you. Yeah, when you were like kids. I know. Yeah, Kathy and I are forty now. So, yeah, yeah. So that was Not like you were thirty. You were already sort of like, is this going to work? I out? know it was already. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we the first record, you know, we got signed when we were like twenty six. So yeah, it was like almost. It was just about to be too late. Well, where'd you grow up? I grew up in the Bay Area. Like uh, what was Kathy that? Kathy and I are both from like San Jose. Are you guys Bale, married? No, we dated like sixteen years ago or something. And you don't don't date? No, no, we haven't. How long did you date? We dated from like ninety eight to two thousand or two thousand one. Really? Yeah. So and it's then been a just, long time. You've been working together yeah. since then for two. We've been like best friends since then. You, you never sort of like eh, let's just. Yeah, yeah, we gave it like another try, like two thousand five <laughs> or so, and that was like no, no, that was the last time. We tried to get back together. And you yeah. can still work together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. All right, so what part of the Bay Area? Uh, San Jose. Uh, my dad oh. worked for Adobe, so we, uh, you know, oh, we really? lived in Cupertino. First but we, wave we moved... tech kid? Right, yeah. Okay, so I was, my parents were from the East Coast, and I was born in New York, and then we moved, when I was eight, we moved to San Jose so my dad could work. My dad worked, like, at a bunch of different startups uh-huh. uh, before Adobe. But yeah, so we lived in like Campbell, San Jose, Cupertino. But that was the first tech boom. Yeah, like we moved to the to like South Bay in 1982 or three. Oh my god! Yeah. So that was when all the 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 big shot nerds, the the super right. nerds, were doing the big work. Yeah. So your dad got in the ground floor. Yeah, definitely. Kinda. Well, yeah. I mean, he worked for what like a bunch job? of startups. He uh, would like debug programs. Oh, uh, security guy. Yeah. That's or like, like his, kind of no, he would. He I, would you have no idea. Have no that's, idea. That's, that's as much as I can tell you about, yeah. Is he still around? Yeah, yeah, he is. And he's up there? 
Uh, yeah, they're in San Jose still. Yeah, retired or working? They're re- they're retired. My dad's a musician, so he does a lot of music stuff. He's a piano player, uh, but yeah, he's been retired for a while because like, cause he had a piece of Adobe. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he got out a while ago because this was you know, you know, obviously like Adobe's huge now, but yeah, he like got with them like in their maybe like second or third year oh and he got vested and he did some right. debugging and yeah. took care of him for life right i love people that stop working especially at an early age i love people that like that they're like i got enough i'm gonna do what i want well he just wanted to like he started teaching he's someone who like i think this is the third time he's retired like he keeps retiring <laughs> and then he'll yeah. go back like he went right. and like taught music at school and then like quit that and but yeah so, like, he's always doing something. So you grew up with music. How many siblings yeah, you got? a lot. Just one. I have a sister who's in San Francisco. She a musician? She's not at all. She's a teacher. Really? Teacher? Yeah. yeah teachers? Yeah. And your dad taught. And right. And your mom? Mom's a nurse. Oh, my retired God. Retired as well. Just retired. Good, decent people doing right. nice things, helping right. the children and doing the important sick. things, yeah. They are important. They're the most- No, for, yeah, for the sure. The most important things. Yeah, definitely. I talked to a lot of people- Whose parents were teachers. I, yeah. It's very interesting. A lot of creative people. I guess that, you know, if it's, I guess that kind of environment is supportive. I mean, like you really think about people who have the the willingness to commit a life to a creative pursuit. It's hard for parents to really get behind that. But I guess if parents are like, well, you know, the kid should do what he wants. And if right. this makes him happy and this is his path, we got to let him do it. Right. Because the normal reaction is like, you're not going to make any money and it's going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom was always trying to get me to go back to school or to try to do something else. But then eventually when the band got to like a certain point where they were doing, we were doing okay. I mean, my parents were always supportive, but then they got really supportive and then they stopped telling me you know maybe should when you could show him a record no. it's funny though like right. the, there's that leap from like look i made a thing to the to the next phase which is like where do they play that thing yeah yeah i right. don't where can i hear that thing that you yeah. made once it was on <laughs> sub pop once there was like a label that was like, like real, Nirvana, like, yeah that... yeah once it was stuff like that that you could point to yeah I'm they one knew of that. It was real. I'm on the same label as them. Right. Yeah. Once it's something they had heard of. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a big. That's a big jump. Yeah. And then, but then they they still go like, but are you making the money? Yeah. But okay. So you're growing up. Your dad's a piano player. Like what kind? Like classical so jazz. He did. Uh, yeah. It's like he did like big band stuff and show tunes. Like he did uh, off Broadway stuff in New York. Oh, so he was a real musician. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was professional. You know, he was in like the Air Force band, uh, and then. Yeah, maybe like most of the '70s, he was in New York doing off-Broadway stuff. Oh, really? So like, th- like weird experimental theater stuff. I don't or, know if it was too ver- experimental. It was just smaller stuff. What but like, like his... burlesque shows or variety shows or like you know torch song shows or like musicals? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and then he would go like during the day. Uh, like singers would come to our apartment and w- they would rehearse with my dad, and then he would accompany them to their auditions. So that was, so that like was another main, thing. Yeah, yeah. That was how he made some bread? Right. Is that like, you know, let's work out the song and I'll be your accompanist. Yeah. And then go and they'd go to the audition and, and the woman would go, my name is so-and-so and accompany me is, uh, what's your dad's Jeremy. Name? Jeremy Harris. Jeremy Harris is yeah. going to be accompanying me. Right. And, and then, then do he'd Bye Bye Birdie the, or Right. Whatever. He'd put the music on and then he'd look at her and do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'd nervously sing her song right. and maybe get the gig. And they'd say, yeah, I'm sorry. Or... Do they say it right then? I wonder. No, no. They say, what do, what do they say? We'll call you. And your parents say, stay together still? There's, yeah, my parents are still together. All the yeah. all that accompanying actresses and no problems. Good right. for him. Right. 
40 something years. Yeah. Good job, right. Dad. So it sounds like that's well adjusted, uh, well adjusted uh, uh, family. You seem like a yeah. well-adjusted guy. You I'm don't all right. seem all fucked up. When I saw you, I thought you were like, well, this guy seems to be angry about something. Um, but maybe that was just the nature of the music. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> don't we all get angry? But maybe I was angry that day. <laughs> that day was a bad day. Well, South By is such a fucking mess. Oh, South By, I know. I, I complain about it. Every, we've probably done it like four or five times. But I do think it's good. I do feel like young bands should have to go do it because the way like how it prepares you yeah to do you know because you make bands get up no sound check no nothing you got to throw your gear on the stage in like five or ten minutes right and and play and you know it's like a million degrees and everyone's wasted and <laughs> yeah so but i do think it's <laughs> yeah. good i you know when i see like young bands doing it, i feel like yeah you should that's it's good for you well the thing that was interesting about that day for me was that you know i like craig and i like the hold steady and they're sort of specific in, in my mind, but they're specifically kind of of a tradition of uh, kind of um, American story, yeah. you know, and uh, but like, but I think he's very thoughtful and, and a very deep guy in, in a lot of ways. Craig is. Yeah, I love his lyrics. Yeah. And like, I was just surprised and I guess it's not unusual because, you know, Nirvana wrote a song about it that the audience was primarily male seemingly very bro-ish in in their behavior yeah and like and when you guys came on you did well with them they're definitely rock people but it struck me that you know both of you guys are are, have a sensitivity and i would say not an aversion to that type of dude yeah but but are at at odds with them on some level for sure and we had done like a couple the Hold Steady was one of those bands where, like, their first tour they opened for us, and then, like, a year and a half later, we were opening oh, for them because no. they took off. They started doing really well. But, but they were, was, like, old guys. Yeah, yeah, right. They'd already gone through. You know, he did Lifter Puller for years, and, like, yeah. Um, I mean, that, that was okay with us because yeah. we like them, yeah. uh, like, as people very much and yeah. like their band. Uh, but, yeah, we their audience, you know, it looked like a sports game, yeah. you know, a lot, right. of, you know. Um because they had that one big, the one big song was a very much of like, yeah, right. I mean, a lot, a lot of the songs. Yeah, I remember we played like a show on St. Patrick's Day opening for them in Columbus, oh, Ohio. And it was, yeah, wow. Yeah. And it was, it looked like a frat party. Right. So did did that cause you any trouble? No, but there's just a lot. You know, you can't choose. Your audience, and the thing with like, I mean, you can if you're specific enough. Yeah, it <laughs> if won't you be alienate, a, yeah, 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 you, you won't purposely be a, alienate. Yeah, it won't be a big audience, but, but, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you want a really small audience, <laughs> yeah, you get exactly the people you want. I mean, there's a lot of audiences that you don't. Uh, I mean, that was like that goes back to Nirvana. He, you know, Kurt Cobain hated a lot of his audience because he just saw them as the jocks that picked on him in high school. Yeah. Well, I, I, but that's the weird thing about music in general, and you know, sort of coming back around to what we were talking about a little bit in, in the, uh, in the living room, is that you, you know, if you're, are they really hearing you? You know, like, are they processing, you know, your feelings about politics or religion right. or about you, you know, uh, the dark poetry of, of, of any of your music, or are they just sort of like rocking out? And is it, it, it doesn't matter on some level. Well, it should be okay if they're just rocking out. It's not, I mean, I don't think there's like an obligation for the fan to have to understand. <laughs> yeah, they, they, 
They're, not, they're yeah. not tested after the well, show. No, no. If you want what? them, I mean, <laughs> if you really need them to get every lyric, maybe turn the lyrics up and, yeah. you know, I would think that's more on the musician. Well, well I'm a little weird like that anyways because I don't, um, like, I'm not a huge lyric guy. Me too. You I mean, are, I am with my own right. when I'm writing, right. but sometimes I'll think like, oh man, I'll, I'll like list like some of my favorite songs and then I don't really know what they're, I don't know what they're singing what are about. They? I, I think I go back to, you know, Nirvana or like bands like the Pixies where a lot of songs, like I love that song. I have no idea yeah. what, he, or the Cure even. Like yeah. there's a lot of bands where I just don't know. What they're talking well, yeah, about? They're, yeah. And that's okay. No, I mean, a yeah. lot of it's about a feeling. Sure. But I guess that's, yeah, but like you hear, like, I guess I just hear the vocals as another instrument. Like, I'm not trying to be like, you know, like really relish the poetry of the thing. Right, right. No, I think that's a good way to put it. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I feel like I'm doing a disservice. So like even today when I was listening to the to the new record, to your new record, you know, I put it on and I'm like, man, I should just see what he's saying. You know, like, I, <laughs> I should do, like, oh, I get, like, I'm about to talk to Hutch and I should see what he said. So, like, I, I, uh, what was the, what's the song on there? Code, no code. Oh, into the code. Into the code. Right. Like to me, like I read that and I'm like, oh, I get this. This is about everything becoming digital. Cool. That's <laughs> that's close enough, right? Or that's enough. <laughs> I mean, how many? Even if like you read all the lyrics to a lot of songs that you, they don't spell it out for you. I mean, that's why. No, of course, that's why they're. Yeah. That's why they're poetry. That's why it's a song. Yeah, and that's like a luxury of writing poets, uh, poems or lyrics, is because yeah. it doesn't have to make no, sense. No, just it can see, be as a, you know vague as you want it. Sound to be. cool. The vaguer, right. the better. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of like Nirvana stuff, it's just sort of like what? Yeah, what the voice, the voice of his generation, and you're like, what are what, any of these talking songs about? about? Yeah, but then it's just like the feeling, you know. Like I love Fugazi, and I know they're singing about important stuff, but a lot of times I don't know what. I don't, you know, yeah. but that sounds very important. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and they mean business, right? They're, yeah. they're approaching this seriously, right? And I'm also like such a like I'm not a, a a dumb old guy necessarily, but I really don't know what I was doing musically for a couple of decades, so. I, you know, everything's new to me. Like, I, yeah. I swear to God, like, I might have uh, known one Fugazi song, and this uh-huh. was like two years ago. And then, like, I started, I bought the reissues of the vinyl, and it's like, wow, they're an amazing band. They did a lot of stuff, but I didn't know nothing about it. But isn't that so exciting? Because yeah. then, like, yeah, I would think it would be way worse to think, well, I've heard it all. But I do that with a lot of stuff. Now, so you, you're growing up in, in, Cupertino, yeah, and then what do you end up in San Francisco? Where where do you start the music? Like, what did you do? Did you go to college? Or you just I didn't high go school? to college. Oh, so that must have freaked your parents out. Yeah, that was the worst possible thing because my dad had gone to Columbia and Ooh. was like, yeah, and it was very. What was he an engineer or what? what? Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah, yeah. So my parents were not happy about that. Yeah, um, I just started playing in bands and just started touring. So when I was probably like. 18 or 19 when did you start playing guitar uh when i was 15 oh really that's kind of late no uh i don't know <laughs> what uh, i don't know I, I guess i was given one at 11 and i reluctantly played it. i had i was like my dad tried to teach me piano uh, uh, when i was a kid hated it and then got me a saxophone oof. i don't it was the 80s impractical uh, yeah. yeah yeah and then so then finally guitar at 15 what kind uh, an Epiphone. Yeah? Yeah. Epiphone a, acoustic? No, no, it was an electric. With electric? Um, like a copy or a Gibson Epiphone? No, it, I was just, it was just really cheap. Yeah. Um, That was, and then, you know, Nevermind Nirvana came out like the next year. So that was perfect for me because I was like 
into like stuff like Guns N' Roses and Led Zeppelin and stuff. Stuff that was like, much we harder, all? right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's not it's not easy. Do you still have play. that? <laughs> but then Nirvana came out, and then that was like really you know everyone I knew. And was you could hear the guitar right record. up front, right? And it was just chords. It wasn't the leads were just sort fancy. of broken up. They it wasn't yeah. noodling. It wasn't overproduced. Right, yeah, right. You could just hear like I can hear him playing. I should be able to play that. Yeah, I mean that's whole my generation of guitar players. I feel like is all that record. Oh, I could do that, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The 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 sort of uh, you know noodling nerds, you know, the people that could do eruption by Van Halen. That was the last generation. Yeah, and then it wasn't cool at all. Just Didn't playing know well that. wasn't cool anymore after that. Isn't that for weird? A while. Yeah, like yeah. You, you used to. There was a time where where guitar geeks would sit there and just watch a guy noodle, and they're still there. They're still out there. Yeah. But then it became, you know, a tone thing and a, you know, just a, a you know, loud thing and a, like, I don't know, simplicity, I guess. I guess that came after, like, punk rock sort of did that. But you ever listen to, like, old, you know, punk rock, like, not, not punk rock, the generation after the Sex Pistols, like that, where punk rock just became a, a sort of umbrella phrase for anything different. But right. if you listen to the Sex Pistols, it's not that menacing and, and actually not even that uh fast no well it, it's like the same way if you go back to those early alice cooper records yeah like, those were like so scary at the time and they're not they're really cool though but yeah yeah, yeah that sex pistols record it doesn't sound, it's just like it's pretty it's cool basic. it doesn't sound super tough yeah no, yeah it, i mean it's like a rock and roll exactly yeah. yeah it's got like i don't know when the 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 drumming started to happen <laughs> yeah. you, you know what i mean at some point In punk, punk rock be, yeah. began to be defined by these monster drummers right well everything gets more muscly like i was gonna say, you know like uh, like the new you go from eruption van halen to like people like joe satriani and yeah, like no. all these guitar players that are just taking it too far i'm, and, I'm falling asleep here in their names <laughs> right it's just like two <laughs> yeah. people that concentrate only on like the tech side yeah of yeah stuff we get as it opposed to songs you yeah, can exactly. do that so then same with punk you know hardcore in the 80s hardcore. you know in east coast it starts getting Getting just about being tough and then like i mean a lot of that crazy drumming i think comes from actually socal because you have like all right. the bands that are on fat records like getting yeah all these bands like really tightening up yeah and yeah getting yeah. it's kind of it's kind of jockey in, in that way too. it, it like is weird it's, yeah, it, there is an alpha muscles. element to it that is yeah. that's true i never really thought about when you really think about rollins when he took when he became the front guy for for, for black, black flag, flag you, yeah. you're sort of like well this guy is punk rock but i'm nervous Right, he's got you that know? neck. I love Rollins. Though, oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's a character. He's a very earnest motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. I I heard you interview him. Yeah, he's very he's very serious. Yeah, he'll talk. Right. Yeah, you you, you know you, you've actually you know the trick to interviewing Rollins is getting him to stop at right. times. <laughs> My God! Can I interrupt for a second? And just, yeah. Yeah, I know you've got the. Uh, you know, I know you know what you're going to say, but I just want to feel like I'm part of the conversation. You it's know? just all a monologue. Well, he's good at that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to listen to his spoken word records in high school. I worked with him for a couple of weeks. Me, him, and Garofalo did some dates, and and, oh, cool. and and initially it was like, let's just pull straws on who's going to go last. And I'm like, why don't we just let Henry go last? Right. You don't want to follow. Yeah. Two hours. It's like, like a you TED know, talk. Yeah, he can't. Yeah. Like a really long. It's like twelve TED right. talks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so when you get to where do you start playing in bands around san francisco uh yeah in, in san jose um oh, but before we get there because like i listen to you guys and like you know for some reason like bands like some of the boston bands really come to mind from when i was you know uh, in college wait so what what uh like for some reason like there was um there's a feeling to it that um was 
more punk rock in the sense of like uh you know like a, a fire hose or yeah like more definitely right more experimental bands right like throwing muses for some reason for come sure to mind. yeah yeah and because bands that were like i mean what is that i think of that as being like college rock because that's what they called it then like end what of was the, the 80s, first wave 90s. of independent music when right. it was still a relatively small i think market share for selling records but yeah. it defined the type of radio I mean, I think of like Pavement and the Breeders. Right, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Of that era. Right. Because they weren't like, yeah. you're not like a punk. Because we were never, you know, I never had like a leather jacket with studs. And but like, it was, uh, like it was that way. It was, it, it was not, but it wasn't like college rock in the sense where you, you know, it seemed to me that what defined that era uh, like was REM. So there was a type yeah. of rock music that was not really punk rock or necessarily hard, but not mainstream until it became mainstream, right? Right, and that took a while for right. REM, but and, and but it was very sensitive. Good. Yeah, yeah. But when I was in college, it was like um, the Pixies were coming on. Yeah, throwing muses I loved because they were local and Belly. Yeah, and the Breeders. Right. Yeah, like that. There was a bunch of bands around Boston. I'm trying to think of, of some of the other ones. Dinosaur Junior. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was like harder. You know, but yeah. I feel like that first early wave, I don't know when R.E.M. happened, but they were like the alt music. But then there was all these other bands. Sonic Youth was a little older, too, though. Yeah. Yeah. So that stuff was pouring India. For sure, because that's like the last, you know, all these bands we're mentioning all played like those early Lollapalooza tours, which for me is like sophomore and junior, senior year of high school. Really? So I was seeing like all, seeing like Dinosaur Junior, Breeders, Sonic Youth, Hole, Smashing Pumpkins. That's all one Lollapalooza. Right. Yeah. Whole and Smashing Pumpkins. Right. So when did you start? What's the first band? Uh, so I had a band called Bunch of Losers. That, oh, no, I had a band called Zephaniah. This is like when I'm 15 and 16. These are like bands that mostly just played like at our high school. Like there'd be shows like in the quad. And like, and who are your heroes? What are you playing? Do you play originals or covers? So then- you did, any co- uh, did you do any covers? We of- did a ministry cover, yeah. Uh, that song's so what. <laughs> then we're just, it's funny because we were like, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and like all the big grunge bands or like yeah. the bands we're listening to right then. But then like, we're really into like, there were a lot of bands like- funk thrash was what was huge like in san jose and oakland and we go to shows in oakland and berkeley and like there was this band called nuclear rabbit and like no one you know right we would cover like like other like local band songs like we played a funk nuclear thrash, rabbit song. Funk like, thrash. Was, yeah. what, what world is that give me a big like name primus okay, or okay. um chili peppers yeah yeah definitely chili peppers are in there too yeah we love them. um fishbone yeah for sure yeah. loved fishbone we'd go yeah. see fishbone all the time that fi- that first fishbone oh, record yeah. was huge yeah yeah that's great and the truth and soul that's another yeah we actually got to play we played this festival in france a couple years ago that yeah. fishbone played and got to meet them and that oh was really like, yeah that was i think they're those guys are like really cool. he's back at it i mean like it's like two it's like angelo and norwood i think are the original members but yeah who was the front man angelo oh yeah 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 yeah, there's a really good documentary about them and about him and he's like in la like living at his mom's house and yeah it's fascinating though it is yeah is he okay i think so (sighs) i guess as okay as you can be yeah but uh, okay so so that was compelling you so you're doing some of that drive yeah who do you have a good drummer Sure. (laughs) 
Those guys, what were the, in those first two bands in high school, are any of those guys? Remember, it's funny, there are two drummers, they were both named Mike. Uh, Mike Stewart, now I haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, Mike Butler, who played a bunch of losers, he just moved to Portland. A lot of people I've kept, like, really close in touch with. And, you know, the whole Portland thing is everyone from California moves there. So a well, yeah, ton I, of people I grew up with live in Portland now. Well, I want to I want to hear that evolution. So you do the high school bands, and, and when do you put together, when do you meet uh So, yeah, Kathy, Kathy and I start playing together in, like, 96. Uh, and then we toured around for a couple years, and then we moved to Portland in '98. Uh-huh. And so we had a band called Hala. Uh, we had so a band you meet Earth. and you're romantically involved. Not for a couple years. We met, we played together for a couple years, dated for a couple years, and then broke up, and then just kept playing. Because uh-huh. everyone, or most people I had met, most musicians I knew were so flaky. It was so hard to sure. keep a band together. That's why I did the first Thermals record alone because it was just easier to just learn how to play everything and just do it as opposed to trying to keep a band together. Did you move to San Francisco, though, before? Did we, you live in San Francisco at all? No, no, I've never lived there. So you were just up in Cupertino? Right. Playing music? And then When you Santa, met Kathy? How'd you meet Kathy in Cupertino? Uh, okay, I met Kathy at Shoreline Amphitheater. Shoreline was where all... Uh, like all the concerts we went to, you know, the I saw Tom concerts. Petty there. Yeah, all the big stuff. Tom Petty, Van Halen, uh, Guns N' Roses. Uh, but we met. You saw them on that first tour, like Guns N' Roses. It wasn't the first one. It was like one of the last ones oh. before it all like fell apart with all the original guys. Right? Yeah, Pretty yeah. Good. All except for the drummer. Oh yeah, it was great. It was. Yeah. All, I mean, Guns N' Roses were like one of my favorite bands, like yeah. in high school. Uh, yeah, it was great. But I saw Tom Petty on the Wildflowers tour there, and that was oh, that's awesome. Good. Oh yeah, it was great. So so he's, good. He's so good. Yeah, so good. Um, but you know, the Grateful Dead would play there at least once a year or so. And we would, For I did go days. to one, yeah, I went to one dead show there, but I like we would shows. just go to the parking lot right. just to get drugs. Mm-hmm. And that's how I met Kathy. Cause Kathy was just in the parking lot and her friend was selling like ganja goo balls. Yeah. And it was just like before that was before edibles, like the weird sort of yeah, these are early edibles, yeah, homemade yeah. edibles, right? Yeah, it's just like, like this chocolate gooey ball, and it was like raisins, uh-huh. and maybe there's some chocolate. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. you're just like chewing <laughs> something up healthy ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like fun to eat, but yeah, because you <laughs> fucked up. You know, go get like a nitrous balloon. You yeah, know, yeah, some yeah. guy just has a Volkswagen sure. bus just selling balloons yeah, out of it. Yeah, so yeah, so a lot of times, you know, you just go and hang out in the parking lot. Were all you a day. dead fan? Not really. My sister was a big Dead fan, so eventually I did. I went to a show with her, and that was like right. That's probably just like half a year or so before Jerry Garcia died. So uh, like one of the last shows there. They were pretty fun. It was interesting <laughs> for me. I had a friend that I ran into at the show, and she was just like a closet deadhead. Like she didn't. No, want to be no, no. There. She would no. She was very, very into them, and she was one of these people who's not having any fun at the show they're just like she would catalog she's just like keeping track of every song that was she was oh, like right. taking notes right right the whole show uh, archivist one of the many dead right archivists. so yeah. many yeah. yeah so it seemed like work for yeah. her <laughs> it was interesting we took mushrooms it wasn't you know it's not like i'm not one of those people that hates the dead but i never like got Locked sucked in, in. Yeah. yeah yeah so you meet her in the parking lot getting ganja balls Ganja yeah. goo balls. Ganja goo balls, yeah. So that's how we met. And then and she, she was had a, a band. Player? She was a drummer. And yeah. she, Kathy's actually played drums on a couple Thermals records. Uh, she's a great drummer. We, uh, like, the first band I played in with Kathy was called Hala, and she played drums in that band. That's, so that's your third band or fourth band? Or yeah, the, band? yeah, it was probably like the third or fourth I band. I think I have a Hutch and Kathy record. What oh, was right. That? So, yeah, so that's from 2002. That's like right before we did the Thermals, we did that record. It was like uh, just the two of you's? 
Yeah, and that was just something we kind of just pieced together. We both have like eight track real machines at our houses, and so we do some at mine, some at hers, and uh. then just kind of. Yeah, that was. Or were you together then? We weren't. No, and a lot of that record is about us breaking up and like about yeah, oh, so we'd you... already been broken up. So it starts musically, becomes romantic, and then you break up. Right. And you remain friends. Right. Yeah. God, I can't. Like that's amazing that you there was no sort of distance in that like if i'm friends with yeah. an ex it's like years later and it's more like hey okay yeah right? i'm friends with all my exes or most of them and a lot of you times you must be a relatively like, nice guy i'm all right <laughs> well yeah i mean obviously they weren't like i gotta get away from no them. no no <laughs> and with kathy and i there wasn't even that much of a break between us breaking yeah i think we broke like, up and well we got to practice tomorrow so, so it was well that's good so it was built yeah. on some sort of other type of bond well yeah and it's just that we like working together on music and i have never like really had that with anyone else where you're right. like this person you know you both understand each other and trust each other yeah that's sweet yeah so you're playing well tell me about the move to portland because like that's early on really i mean right um so what was what what drove that okay so we this is like we were like, we got to get out of San Jose. There's no scene. You know, it was kind of a punk scene, but it was, you know, it kind of died. And we would love to live in San Francisco, but San Francisco was already so expensive. We couldn't, right. we just couldn't afford to live there. And Kathy had gone to fashion design school in San Francisco and we really wanted to, but yeah, just couldn't afford it. Um, so we're like, let's move to the East Coast. So we had a friend. We were going to move to Philly. We did like this tour. We ended up like outside of Philly. The guy we were going to live with is terrible. It all fell apart. We ended up living in Maine, in Portland, Maine, for really? like seven or eight months because we had the guy was really terrible good friends that you moved there. in with. Yeah, this dude that we were going to live with. We were like, this is, this is just not going to work. Yeah, Philly of all places. Right. Yeah. I, I like Philly. And, I know it's yeah, great yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. But I didn't know it was known for its music scene, punk scene. Anyways. It's funny because I feel like the scene there right now is really cool but yeah i don't know what was going you know a lot of just like the psychedelic stuff was going on right uh, anyway not that we would have fit in with that either but yeah so we end up we had good friends in in portland maine we ended up just living just one kind of like stoned winter in in portland maine and then yeah and then like spring of 97 we moved we were like we gotta you know we don't want to go back to california but Portland, we knew people. Yeah. Portland, Oregon, we knew people that lived there. And Kathy and I had been there, like, on tours or just, like, to visit. And we knew that it was, like, really cheap. The music scene was already kind of cool. Yeah. So it just seemed like, like who was a there good idea. In the music scene. So that's, like, Elliot Smith is still living there. Sleater Kinney had just kind of, like, moved there after being split between, like, Olympia and, uh -huh. and Portland. Um, there was... Uh, you know, there was just like a lot of like small punk bands and there was just like a lot of or like a few like just small like all ages like hole in the wall type venues. Right. And just a lot of good like house shows. You know, we were like 21 when we moved there. So there was just like. And it hadn't blown up. It hadn't become what it is. It, right. It was not at all. Not at all. Kind of a beaten city in a way. Right. It was just kind of weird and, and dark. dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was kind of creepy. Yeah. It was cool. And. So you did the, and at that point you moved there, and when do you do the first record? So we're there for a while before, you know, we do Hala for a couple of years, Kathy and I uh, record the Hutch and Kathy record, and then I, like, in 2002, just at my house, I recorded that first Thermals record. Without, how come without her? I, it was just like, 
it was at that point it wasn't a band it wasn't like anything it was just kind of like this project i was doing at yeah. my house yeah i would just like come home from work and just like write these songs so it wasn't right. like it was just like i'm gonna do this yeah you know just because yeah because i like to record right and and then you play it for her and you go, we got a tour with this stuff? Yeah, it was gotta... something where like immediate, like anyone who played it for got really excited about it because it was just, you know, it's the recording is like lower than lo-fi. You know, it's like just a really kind of like crazy crappy recording, but it sounds cool. Like the energy was really cool. And anyone I played it for like really liked it. And um, like when Kathy and I were on the Hutch and Kathy tour, like it was, it only been Who a couple months. For? What do you mean a tour? Just it was just the two of us, like in a Corolla. It was like just playing, just tiny shows to almost no one. Yeah, I mean, which is which had uh, that's how a lot of our tours had been, like up until that point. Is that I mean, that's how what we knew as tour? We booked you, it ourselves, and yeah. right. But do you just accept that, or is that heartbreaking in a way? No, you just we have the feeling like things are going to get better. Yeah. Um, if we just keep doing this, right? Because this is this is the way it's laid out. This everyone has to do this, right? Yeah, and you know, and we were, you know, we were still, yeah, we were like twenty three yeah. or twenty four. We were doing that, so yeah. So we didn't feel, you know, we just felt like we're moving in the right direction. I think. So, so how do you like the the first record is on a smaller label? Your your record, the Hutch and Kathy record, yeah, yeah, it was no, on, but, it's and, on but a, more parts per million. No, that's on Sub Pop. It is, yeah, yeah. So how does that happen? Okay, so so we put a little band together of just like friends of ours, like uh, Kathy and I were friends with this guy Jordan who was living with us, and he was playing, uh, he played drums, and then our friend Ben Barnett um, played guitar, and then I just sang. Ben Barnett. Uh, introduced us to Ben Gibbard, who's from Death Cab for Cutie, yeah. and was doing the Postal Service record with Sub Pop, and so we gave it to you know uh, gave it to Ben Gibbard, and then Ben Gibbard gave it to Sub Pop, the record that you made yourself, right, yeah. right, and so when Kathy and I were on tour, just we got an email from Sub Pop. It all happened like really quickly, like yeah. so quickly that I didn't really like. I thought someone was pranking us at yeah. first. I thought I don't think this right. is like actually someone from Sub Pop. Yeah, yeah, that wants to put out the record. But yeah, so they were like, "Hey, do you want to come?" Yeah, Kathy and I were on tour, and Thermals hadn't even we hadn't even practiced. There was no band. There was just that recording. They were like, "Do you want to come play in Seattle?" And so we we're like, "Sure, we gotta you know give us a couple months because we're on tour and you know." We didn't tell them, but we, we were like, there's no band. <laughs> Let us just make the band that you want to sign first. But that was like, you know. Yeah. And that was after so many years of sending CDs to Sub Pop, all these labels we wanted to be on and never hearing anything back. And then here was this thing that we had made that we had like given to a couple people but hadn't like sent to labels. Like, well, it was, but that was how it always works. It's an inside job. Right. You know, they just right. throw the things you send on the pile. Yep. And maybe like, yeah. you, like I get records all the time from people. Uh-huh. And it's very odd that like why, why do I like lock into one? Like I'll usually give them all a listen. Uh-huh. But it's just so rare that you put one on and you go like, "What? What's that? What's going on?" There's something. Yeah. There's something here. Yeah. It just happened the other day with some weird uh, a record from I think uh, Maple Leaf Records. Uh-huh. Um, the, I I don't remember. I'll show you the record. But like, all, like that. Also, that guy uh, Nathan from Rivulets. They, these people send me records and I'll put it on. And maybe you know the other records resonate with other people. But it just it's such a crapshoot. It, like, yeah, definitely. Like it has to be a guy looking at a box of shit 
that you know that that's come into sub pop and just be like nah maybe I'll throw if if even that I'm gonna try this yeah yeah you should be lo- so lucky just to get a yeah, lesson right yeah it's and it's not anyone's fault we because I think when you have hopes and dreams and you're the guy sitting at home in your living room with your a track and you uh-huh. put this thing together it's all about you but I, right. I don't you you really don't want to think that it's just going to go directly from your hands into a box of other things that look exactly like it. You, right. want, you want to think there's some process where the guy goes, oh, this one. You know? Well, yeah, but that's up to you. I mean, you know, the rule is supposed to be like, you put the greatest, put the best song first because most people aren't going to make it right, past that right, first right. song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 know you and that's what a lot of bands do. You send them the whole record, and oh, I'm gonna put the 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 be, you know there's the intro song, and then the you know and the, you know the best song is like the fourth or fifth song, right? But yeah, and they don't care. Yeah, you know? they don't and they care. shouldn't. There's dr- they're drowning. Yeah, you know. In, in well, I mean, they, like you records. want there to be. I it's just it's weird how these things work because they're like occasionally there's a story where like I you know a friend of mine get, got a lot of unsolicited stuff. And he was, you know, he was really just um, working for the manager of the Cure, you right. know, uh, in in the BMG building in uh, in New York. But he was getting, you know, un- you know, unsolicited stuff, and he'd throw it on occasionally. He just found this one thing that you know became this huge. Weir- he just felt that it was a hit, and he made this thing a hit from this demo that somebody sent. Yeah. And it was a one hit thing, but it sort of established him as a a guy who can find music, right? Yeah, uh, and you hope that that guy gets it. Yeah, yeah. But the music business doesn't uh, yeah. work like that anymore. But you're, you're no, still, no. at that time, there was still a, a sort of, you know, tactile music business. Yeah, yeah. No, I always say that because we, you know, the first couple records we did, they were still like 8x10 glossies. And yeah. you would actually send out a CD with a paper press release. And then by the third record, it's all digital. You know, the when we got signed, the labels were still trying to figure out, like, how do we not, you know, how do we not get this leaked or get this stolen and, like, Pearl Jam's label, I think it was Epic or Columbia was doing, they were sending CD, like, Discmans out to, with, Locked. they were glued shut. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we're like, well, anyone that wants to, they just run a cable to whatever. Yeah, they, yeah. People will still be able to yeah. figure it out. But yeah, but all that, you like, It all happened so quickly. Right, but so you guys, quickly. You, all your records are on vinyl, and, and you, put, yeah. you put thought into the artwork. I always like the artwork. Oh, cool, thanks. Yeah, yeah I do does. that, or I do that, or we we collaborate on that, but most of those, yeah. I've yeah, it's it. like these montage kind right. of like, yeah, yeah. cut and thing. Cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you want them to all, I like when you lay out all the records together, and they all kind of yeah, match Yeah, yeah, it's an art show. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Like, for this sure. guy's got a style on the cover, too. Yeah, and you kind of want it to match the music, too. Like, it's kind of this scrappy, imperfect It does. It definitely, it does match. So, all right, so Gibbard gets you in, and you put together the band. Right. You put a couple months together, teach these people right. how to play the songs that exactly. you made. Yeah. yeah. And and then what happens? You play for Sub Pop? So we play for Sub Pop. They like it a lot. Uh, they want us- Where'd you do that? It was a thing where, like, there was a show in the main room, and we just there was just, like, a little cafe attached, and we just played on the floor in the cafe. Uh-huh. Um, for a small audience? Of- yeah, yeah, for mostly just people that worked at Sub Pop. Oh, wow. And then went That's in- That's a pressure thing. Yeah, right, because this was, like, I mean, there was- We're always, like, trying, you know, sending our stuff out to all these labels, but Sub Pop was, like, the one yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah. 
for sure. so like long. Like it meant something Right, to you. yeah. Well, just like so many of our favorite bands like have who? been on Sub Like Pop. Nirvana? Well, first like the grunge ones like Nirvana and Mud Honey, but then like bands like Eric's Trip and just, you know, just kind of the weirder stuff. Yeah. Sebado. Yeah. Yeah, just like, yeah, so many different, yeah. uh, so many different bands. So you're playing, so you like Sub Pop. The, yeah, yeah, the so we love Sub Pop. Yeah. So that was ultimate. Like there was no way we were going to sign to Sub Pop. Coolest, yeah, we really way. wanted, and then, you know, so we went to the office the next day and they and also you know they had just the shins record had come out sub pop was kind of having like this renaissance yeah and the you know jonathan poneman he attributed it to the shins yeah the shins kind of record oh yeah it's a great record i just listened to one of those songs yesterday came up on my shuffle yeah 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 it was rock man it had good drive to it It it's fun (laughs) yeah they're great it's one of those bands that like they were like a little weird and then i feel like a lot of bands that be kind of kind of became like the new sub pop sound. Yeah, it was these bands who were rock, but it was like a little soft and and pretty, uh, but different than what sub pop had been doing like, right up until then. Yeah, yeah, they kind of reinvented themselves. Yeah. so you yeah. play the show and they're like, okay, great. Yeah, but they didn't record. They they just released the record you made. Right, and they did want us to re-record it, and we didn't want to. Um, you know, they wanted to put us back in the studio. And, and like make it sound. This better, is great but, for a living room record, right? <laughs> but to me, it, it sounded like you know, like Eric's trip or Elevator to Hell. I was like, a lot of you know, the lyric, uh, the uh, the records that have inspired yeah. this record are sub pop records, and they, you know, the recordings are garbage, and I want mine, you know, yeah, yeah, to yeah, be that way too. special. Yeah, yeah, I want to put out record. my crappy record on sub pop. <laughs> And they let you. Yeah, yeah, they did. They were, yeah, yeah, I mean, every label we've been on has been really good about letting but, but us do a, just whatever. Right, but that's an interesting thing to me that, you know, um, what what happens? You, you know what I mean? Like, like, so you're on, you're, you're on Sub Pop. Your first album that you actually record with them, you're produced by a big producer for them. Yeah, yeah, Chris Walla. And, you know, he's done, like, you know, all the Death Cab for Cutie right. records and-, and so that's a that's that's like that's a little juice, right? There's, yeah, yeah, definitely. They're definitely. setting you up to be received, right? And so then, like, so like Death Cab just helped us out so much because Ben helped us get signed, and then Chris mixed that first record and produced the second one, and then they took he us on remixed tour. your record. Yeah, yeah. So it, it didn't make it it didn't make it sound any better. <laughs> <laughs> the original, you know, there's only so far, only so much you can do. God, with he's a four like track a, for this generation. Chris. Like yeah, he's a big producer. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's done like Decembrist and Tegan and Sarah. And yeah, the stuff that Chris, yeah, Chris always has interesting stories. He said like Steely Dan called him up, and it wasn't even to produce a record. They just wanted him to like come out and hang. He just went and like hung out with Steely Dan. Sure, sure, sure. Just give like, us, give yeah. us some uh, relevance. Right. Yeah. Right. We need a guy to, to make us hip for the kids. Right. <laughs> so he does the 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 fucking A record. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, all you, you did that. Is, was, is that considered a full record? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, all our records are short. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like 25 minutes. That's or unusual half an hour. for the world we live in. Aren't you supposed to dump everything you've ever done into each <laughs> are record? Are you? I don't know. You could these. <laughs> Not, I mean, we're a punk band, so all the minutes. songs are really short. Yeah, I mean, 
I never complain if I'm listening to a record and it's short. You Me know? neither. A lot of you're, records. You're, sort of, like, you're yeah. like, yeah, we didn't need these last four. Yeah, and why is the last song always like eight minutes and they jam or it's just- Because they yeah, could. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, I guess it's more bang for the buck. I guess on some level, if someone looks at a CD or a digital download, they're like, there's a lot of shit on here. Right. And then they realize like there's a lot of shit on there. Yeah, you don't want someone to like love the first half of your record and buy, you know- the, Yeah, the, no, the, it's good to keep it yeah, tight. Keep them board. wanting more. Right. Or to wonder why you didn't do more. Just start the record over again if you want to. If you need <laughs> yeah, to keep listening, that's what it is. We made it short so you listen to it yeah, three times. Listen to it twice. Yeah, you just let it go, and you're like, "Isn't that? Did we hear this again? I don't, did, did we hear this already?" Yeah. So, so you're saying that the first time you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so you you sort of define your sound because the sound of more parts per million and, and moving into it, you definitely I feel it feel like you got like bigger in the productions, right? Uh, um, you know, fuller. And you know, you started sounding like a band that had uh, uh, its own tone yeah. and its own style. And so you stay on sub pop through what There's body part in the machine? Yeah, yeah. So that's the third record. And and now what what happens in, that makes you switch labels to to? Is it like uh, is sub pop like? Well, I guess it didn't take off. Or you're like maybe we're not no, doing something right. It did and- really well, and they. Uh, they offered us another contract for like a fourth and fifth record uh-huh. that I sometimes wish you would have taken. So the but body, the blood, time, the machine, your your political angry record. Yeah, that one like did the best yeah. for us. That one still does like because now it's we have like the tenth anniversary uh, anniversary reissues with us. Those like sell way better than our new record. So you do have a good following. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, the thing was we decided like after the third record that we wanted to own all the masters for our record business yeah and so that it just wasn't an option at sub pop to do that and so and we knew there were a lot of other labels where that was an option so that but that's sort of uh adapting to you know the the pay model that sort of evolved as you guys evolved is that definitely you know if you got your publishing and you've got your masters you know that means you have access to make as much money as possible for as long as you're alive, really. Right. And even after you're dead, if it's really good. Well, that's funny you say that because that's how I started thinking about it. I was like, one day, everyone at Sub Pop is going to be dead and I'm going to be dead too. And it's either going to be their kids owning my, my record or my right. kids, neither of which exist. Right. But I'm like, oh, you know, I would, I want my kids to own the records as opposed to someone else's. But you had the publishing. Right, right. And it's such a weird thing because now, you know, now we own all our masters for the labels we've been on since Sub Pop, but then we still just keep re we keep we keep licensing them, uh, you know, re licensing the them to the label. Yeah, right. so I kind of go, you know, it's just one of those things that maybe like it makes us feel good, right? But to doesn't own them, but it's not a huge, it's not as big as I thought it was back then. So I when think. you leave Sub Pop, you know, to go to to kill rock stars. Oh, that's a big. That's a. Oh yeah, yeah, one. great. And they had just moved to Portland from Olympia. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They do. Uh, who are their big acts? So Bikini Kill, Elliot right. Smith. Yeah, uh, they did the early December's records and right. the Gossip, and you know they do comedy records now. They did Cameron Esposito and Ian Carmel. Ian, um, there's a bird in here. Oh, cool. Not really. Does that? I just want him to find his way out. Has that happened before? No. Ugh. Oh. Don't oh, hurt that's yourself. Another Go. bird. Wait, wait, is he just by the window there? Yeah, There's it's another... never happened before. He's trying to get Should out. Should we... Uh... I just don't want to hurt him. Come on. No, no, no. You're not going to get out that way. 
You're not gonna get out there. This is awesome. Come on, uh, yeah, okay. Go, go, go. Oh god. Whew. That gave me a hot that gave me a rush. <laughs> that was exciting. Well, you don't want them to fucking, you know, break their wing on the window. Like right. yeah, they you know, bugs do it too. They the birds come for the cat food now. It, uh, it's a, and apparently okay. they you know, the one bird shared it with the entire bird community. Right. And there's yeah. one bowl of cat food out there. So awesome. Kill Rockstars, Ian Carmel, Portland's own. Uh, right. So that makes sense. So now, do you feel that, is there a difference, I imagine, in promotion? or The main difference uh, is that at Sub Pop, everyone is in-house, everything. You know, they have someone doing licensing, right, right. all, you know, press, everything. Whereas like a label uh, like Kill Rockstars or Saddle Creek that we're on now, you just hire out for all that stuff. So in a lot of ways, it's not that different. It's coming out of your pocket in a way though. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is with, you know, you can make decisions like I'm going to spend a lot of money on a publicist. Right. So that's, that was a difference. Like moving to kill rock stars and doing like, you know, you own the masters and it's an even split. You split the profits mm-hmm. and yeah. So you are, I mean, it's kind of more work in that way. Cause, yeah. Cause you're having to choose a publicist and choosing how much money to spend. And you do two records with them. We did two with and them. And Chris yeah. comes back to produce. Chris did personal life. Yeah, yeah. we. Uh, I don't know if you know John Congleton. Uh, he's produced a lot of. He he's produced like Saint Vincent and uh, a, a lot of great records. He did. What? He did. He, now we can see. He oh, did the good. first record yeah, yeah, for yeah. Kill Rock Stars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brendan Canty from Fugazi. He he produced the Body, the Blood, the Machine. That was like. Oh he, right. He, that was like major for yeah. sure. That's a big record. That's your big record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, that's where I got um, the other one. I got Desperate Ground from Agnello. Right. Who we just saw. Yeah, I who, heard yeah, him. Who in I here. interviewed him. Yeah, yeah. Someone pestered me to interview Agnello. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's done a lot of, yeah. I mean, he did those whole steady records that got them big. And, right. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's done a ton of great records. Did you like the sound of that one? Oh, yeah. Like, I, and he had worked on that Amps record that Kim Deal did. Yeah. And he's done all those Dinosaur Jr. records. Yeah. Like, he was someone um, who I had, like, heard about for so long. And I just found him on Facebook. Well, I saw he was, like, friends with Janet Weiss from Sleater Kenny on Facebook. And I was like, I asked her, I was like, hey, do you think, like, he would produce our record. She's like, oh, you should just ask him. And I just like wrote to him on Facebook. He's like, oh yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, but he was great. What did he bring him. to it? His... Like, what's your what's your collaboration with these guys? Do you give them just, do you trust them implicitly or do you sit there in the booth and- We don't, there's never like a ton of like, you know, we demo, but there's like not a lot, you know, you just t- talk to someone and, and kind of just feel them out. And John, I mean, a lot of times it's just like, do you like what they've done in the past? And right. do you think they could do that for you? Like, John, we want someone who's going to just kind of be open to whatever we want to do. And the thing with John is we wanted to make a record that sounded kind of like scratchy and kind of lo-fi, but do it in a studio and right. do it properly, but still have it kind of be, uh, you know, raw. Right. Or just have it kind of be messy. And so he was really, you know, I, I brought that crappy microphone and four track that I recorded the first record with. I wanted to bring those to the studio and just do that same setup and have like distorted vocals and have it through kind of this cheap setup, but go to like an expensive machine. Right. Which is what, and he was totally down with that. And you did it? Great. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's what we did for that record. Um, so now, okay, hold on. 
like because like i know like the like it seems to me that the the last three records i mean they're not they're different but they're de- you've definitely got a signature sound now right right and you're not trying to break away from that i mean i always liked i like think of acdc a lot you know AC, every acdc record sounds the same best like band in all, the world yeah it's all like you if you get a good sound you know it's hard because like if you make a record that's kind of different, people will, they don't like the new, you right. know, people will fault you for either staying the same or for changing. So you're happy that you found your sound. Oh, yeah. I'm re- I feel like it's one of the most important things you can do is just like find something that makes you recognizable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like to be consistent. Yeah. Too. So the, I, the, so I got the new record. I guess you guys sent it to me. Somebody sent it to me. Right. What label's that now? It's on Saddle Creek. So that's, that's been the past couple records, like this and the last. Desperate Ground? Yes. It was on Saddle Creek and this is right. on Saddle Why'd right. you leave Kill Rockstars? There was just a big shakeup at Kill Rockstars, and most of the people we worked with oh. had been fired or had left. Oh. Um, and it just seemed, I mean, we're still on good terms with them. It, it just seemed like, like time to go. And who's Saddle Creek? What are they? So Saddle Creek's right there in Omaha. So they, they've, bright eyes. they do Bright Eyes, right? Yeah, right so, right. you know, yeah, I heard Connor in here. So we had just known them. We knew, had known Connor and Bright Eyes and like a lot of their bands for a long time. Um, and just, we knew the guys that run the label. And, that, and, and, like, and they're like good? And you like them? Yeah, they're awesome. They're great. And they're out, you know, the label's based in Omaha, but uh, Rob, who owns the label, he's based in LA. And the new record, which is good, how do you, now when you see a, a difference between like the last, the evolution of what's evolving, if it's not necessarily the sound, what evolves? I think the songwriting is evolved. Uh, I feel like I work like you know it, it's been a couple rec- uh, years since we made a record, so I feel like I worked hardest on yeah just just by being a better songwriter yeah, yeah 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 and just yeah and not feeling you know a lot of times you know you're making a record you're writing a bunch of songs all at once yeah and you kind of set a deadline whereas this record we just kind of wrote I just kind of wrote for a couple of years and there was no there was no pressure to make pace. another record yeah totally well well great. I'm glad. It's a good record. Thank you. I'm a fan. Thank you. Do you want to sing a song? Yes, I'll You can to. just do that? Yeah. I'm always impressed with you guys. You're just sort of like, you're not sure. like, oh, I'm a little nervous. Well, <laughs> I'm a little nervous, but. No, but I mean, but you sing. That's what you do. You're, so I'll just do it. Yeah. It's your job. Well, you know, you can't let being nervous stop you. All right. Let's, uh, that's true. You can just, you know, hopefully it just doesn't become your thing. That's a nervous guy. <laughs> not in music. Oh, God. No. From your voice, I fall in the dark. The damage is a drain, it tears me apart. I know I can repair, but I don't know where to start. My love in a voice, worlds away. Words I needed to say, my heart went cold.
fatal It swallows the light I know I can resolve it I always fall to fight My love in a void Worlds away Words I needed to say Words I needed to say I buried away Okay My heart went cold This I know I pushed you away Oh, oh, oh I let my heat on I couldn't keep you warm My heart went cold Dead in the Nice. Thanks, Hutch. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Great time. Good, right? Go get some thermals music. Go get some thermals vinyl. Get whatever you want. Also, don't forget, I'll be at the Now Hear This Festival with my producer, Brendan McDonald. That's October 28th through 30th in Anaheim. We'll be doing a special WTF show on Saturday, October 29th. But there are more than 30 of your favorite podcasts all weekend. Go to nowhearthisfest.com to get tickets and see the full lineup. And use the offer code WTF when you buy tickets to save 20% off general admission. That's nowhearthisfest.com. Offer code WTF. All right. All right. Have a good weekend. Boomer lives.